and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone's had a good week and that by the time you listen to this, you're enjoying the Jubilee long weekend, whether it's bunting in street parties or ponies and perhaps even a trip out to a competition. Our interview this week is with a rising star in the showing world, Alice Homer. She talks about her successful week at the Royal Windsor Horse Show. The atmosphere in that ring, it's just as buzzy as the Castle Arena. He actually, during his ride, had the Household Cavalry and he had to canter straight towards them and I was sort of watching thinking, it's either going to go really well or really badly. I'll then be talking to our news team about concussion rehabilitation, long-distance transport of horses to slaughter and a new petition to ban sky lanterns. Finally, our vets, Rick Farr from Farr and Percy Equine and Andy Fisk-Jackson from the Royal Veterinary College take a look at some of the dangers of veterinary life. And in a flash, this hind leg came up and walloped <laughs> me in the face. Oh, no. I look like I've been in a boxing match. So zip up your boots and let's get started. Welcome to Horse and Hound's guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. So the show season is well underway now. It's not that long until the Royal International at Hickstead in July. And the Horse of the Year show qualifiers and county shows have kicked off. And there's been some lovely results from our home producers, our amateurs and our professionals alike. We've just about recovered from an extra special Royal Windsor Horse Show. And this is where our guest uh, comes into play, Alice Homer, who was our Arguably the star of Windsor this year. She won three classes and took two championships at Windsor. An amazing result. And we're yeah, really grateful that Alice has taken some time out of her busy schedule to join us today. Hi, Alice. How are you? Hi, I'm very good. Thank you. Great. Um, and Alice definitely hails from showing royalty. She's the granddaughter of legendary showman David Tatlow. And she's the daughter of the equally superb rider Lorraine Homer. And Alice had such an amazing run at Windsor. And she's here to chat about her results today. So Alice, you had three wins at Windsor. So let's have a little bit of a chat about each of those lovely horses who won. You started off your show on Thursday, winning the Working Hunters with Little Joe. Can you just tell us a little bit about him? please um so he's pretty much the only one that i show at the moment who is mine um, mm-hmm. my granddad owns him he bought him for me two years ago he is the funniest quirkiest horse <laughs> um he hates men no one can go in the stable if you're a man <laughs> he will literally run to the back i'm the only one who likes riding him at home he does everything he hunts he team chases he hacks out. He's just, yeah, he's the best. Oh, fabulous. And the course was designed by Lisa Kelly at Windsor and it's held in the in the castle arena in that big main ring. What was the track like and how does a Windsor course differ from others you might have jumped? It's always really testing. He actually, last year there was only two clear rounds and this year he was the only clear round. Um, it's always very big and I think a lot of horses go into the arena and get a bit overwhelmed by the atmosphere Mm -hmm. but 
Joe really takes it on. I think he improves and he definitely jumps the bigger. (laughs) (laughs) And that championship as well, that's also quite an electric atmosphere, isn't it? You know, you're going in for the for the flat section. How did you go? How did you kind of tackle that? You know, you've obviously got to give a, a stonking gallop. Yeah. What were your tactics going in for that championship? Obviously, it's tricky because you need to be so elegant and quiet and then gallop around at a million miles an hour. <laughs> so to ask the horses to do that and then stand perfectly is really not a mean feat. Yeah, I suppose you've got to show every pace, gallop being very important for a working hunter. And Joe definitely does that. And he takes on the challenge, especially in the lap of honour. I think he thinks he has to go even <laughs> faster then just to prove that he can do it. <laughs> and what's next for Joe? Um, so he's qualified for the Royal International. Yeah, where are you heading next and what are the plans for the rest of the season? Um, so he has the Horse of the Year show qualifiers now. We try and go to places um, that we enjoy going to, really. I mean, you could uh, go to Arena UK every day of the weekend if you wanted. Mm. But, yeah, we like to go to the county shows. I just love jumping him. So wherever's the best course is where he'll be going. Super. And next up was the Novice Hunters, uh, where you took the championship with the lightweight Bloomfield president. Uh, He's owned by Liz Proutings, I believe. And he's just a five-year-old. What's his story, Alice? So he was bred by Daphne Tierney in Ireland at the Bloomfield stud. I have a, a great affiliation with their team, and we always go over to Ireland and see the babies. Mm-hmm. Um, I first saw him as a two-year-old when he was champion Irish bred at Dublin, led by Michael Lyons, and I remember watching him and thinking, wow, he was absolutely stunning even as a two-year-old. And then just followed him since then, really, and then Jane Bradbury broke her collarbone last year. Otherwise, he would have been kept in Ireland to be shown. But he came over and contested in four-year-old classes last year. He actually won the four-year-olds at Windsor with me. And then he went back home to Ireland. And Liz Prouting sort of started with our team. And then they sort of had the opportunity to buy him at the start of this season. Mm -hmm. So he is their second one now. And luckily, he's come back to us. And he's, yeah, just incredible. Super. And do you think he's got the makings of a top show horse? I know um, a lot of horses who win this prestigious novice accolade do go on to, you know, have really great careers. Do you do you think he's a little bit special? Definitely. Um, lightweights are not very easy to come by, especially ones which are not a small hunter, not a middleweight. And he's just absolutely that. And he's got a temperament to die for. Like, it's so easy. He's everyone's favorite on the yard everyone can hack him out everyone can do anything you want with him he's the sweetest horse and then it was a very quick saddle change and outfit change for you um you were straight into the into the ladies on your 2021 royal international winner bloomfield's eloquence and he's also owned by liz and he's a bit of a dual contender isn't he he does you know the weights and the ladies what's he like as a horse Oh, he's a dream as well. I sound like <laughs> I sound like they're all amazing, but they honestly are. He's such a beautiful horse inside and out. And mm-hmm. someone said to me the other day, oh, how do you decide who rides them between you or your mum? And I said, genuinely, we just wake up in the morning and say, do you want to ride him <laughs> or do I want to ride him? <laughs> I tend to do the side saddle classes on him. Um, and as you said, it was a quick change, but like my team are just amazing. They had all my kit there, he was ready, I just literally jumped on him, had one trot round, straight in the ring, and 
he was incredible. It's the atmosphere in that ring. People probably don't realise, but it's just as buzzy as the Castle Arena. Mm. You know, they have children around the edge. He actually, during his ride, had the household cavalry and he had to canter straight towards them. And I was sort of watching, thinking, this is either going to go really well or really badly. Um, <laughs> but he is an angel. Aww. And how did you juggle wins at Alice? You know, you've got many horses there, owners, classes to do. I bet it was a bit manic. Did you have any mishaps or did it all run pretty smoothly? To be fair, our team are incredible and they made it run like clockwork. You know, we were on one horse, off another one. Bless our um, girl, Georgia. She must have ran to and from the lorry probably 10 <laughs> times on Friday. Um, I was glad she was wearing comfy shoes. <laughs> it is a long way from the ring to the lorry. <laughs> and it was an extra special year this year, wasn't it? Because of the, the Queen's Jubilee. Did you feel any more pressure this year? Or Windsor is always an incredible show. And there's always such a buzz around the Queen's garden and the fact that she might be there. But definitely this year, you, that was ramped up. You know, mm-hmm. There was some incredible displays and the atmosphere was just electric as always. Mm. And Alice, you're still very young, just being 20 years old, and you're making quite an impact in these horse classes. But how has that transition been into these adult classes? And yeah, when did you begin, I guess, moving into this, uh, into these horses? Well, two years ago, I had my first um, side saddle horse, who I rode mm-hmm. for an owner. Um, and that was really the first step. She was super easy. And then I had always um, ridden a few for Jane Ross, mm-hmm. and she was incredibly... Um, generous and gave me a ride on some of her horses in the championships when I was 18 I rode in the hunter championship at the horse of the year show wow on um, her second horse Mm -hmm. in the lightweights which was an incredible experience and I suppose just from there it's not the transition has been difficult in a way because you're competing against the likes of Robert Walker and Jane mm-hmm. Ross who have been doing it for years and years and years but if you have the right horses and the right mindset there's definitely nothing stopping you when you're young. Mm-hmm. And you're also at university um, so what, what are you studying there and how are you fitting in studies around showing and horses and all that jazz? So I'm at Bristol University I'm doing geography mm-hmm. Um the balance is all right. I would say I tend to prioritise the horses at the moment, but I am only in first year, so I think in the next couple of years I'll probably have to knuckle down with the work. But I love having the balance. I have got a couple of friends here who event and things, and they understand what I'm doing, and so that's nice. But I suppose, yeah, I just have to make it work. I mean, I was at Arena UK uh, only yesterday. I stayed in the travel lodge the night before, woke up, did an exam in the morning <laughs> and then got the car over to Arena UK and competed in the afternoon. Wow. <laughs> and do you do you know yet if you if you know if showing's a career you'd like to pursue or do you have your sights on any other disciplines you might like to, you know, further or is that still kind of undecided? Showing is probably my first love and something I'll always do. But I do a lot of point-to-pointing. Mm-hmm. I currently have three point-to-pointers. One who is running on Sunday, who is also owned by Liz Prouting. And then two who are roughed off, ready for next year. I love the pointing and my granddad gets such enjoyment out of training the horses for me because it was something he did his whole life as well. Mm. But I wouldn't say that 
that is the career path I'll be going down. That's just a hobby for the moment. And whether I do horses full stop is Mm -hmm. sort of undecided. I'll see where my life takes me, I think. Still got so much time to decide. Um, So Alice, just to to finish off, where are you heading next with your team? And yeah, what shows are in the diary for the rest of the month? I am going to Staffordshire County, Mm -hmm. which should be a lovely show. It's um, in the main ring. They have all the cows and dogs and everything to see. So it's lovely to go to shows like that. And then from there, I've got Midland Counties, we're trying to do lots of shows in June and hopefully give the horses a nice rest in July. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. Super. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alice, and we can't wait to hear how you get on for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm joined now by two members of our news team. First of all, our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Pippa. No horses for me this weekend. It's wedding season's in full swing, so I was at Hendu, um, which was lovely. But how about you? Uh, I was was doing a bit of horsey things this weekend. Went to a little show jumping competition. So yes, I was I was wedding previous weekend. <laughs> so we're uh, we're alternating, I think, on the wedding activities. But I do love a good Hendu. They are excellent fun. And we also have with us our other senior news writer, Becky Murray. How are you doing, Becky? I'm good, thank you. I was at a dismounted rider physio session at the weekend, um, kind of similar to what Eleanor mentioned in the podcast last week that she did. Um, I've mentioned that I'm bringing my horse back into work, but we've been struggling for the right rein, and I got it in my head, it's my horse's worst rein, but actually it's mine. <laughs> we've established my right leg and needs a lot of work. <laughs> so... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so have you got lots of exercises to do now? Lots of exercises because it appears I've become rather wonky since being out of the saddle when my horse has been off. So um, yes, hopefully I'll see a difference soon. Bless you. Well, well done for you for uh, for taking the responsibility there and do something about it. That's good work, and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing better things about Chloe's right rein and your right <laughs> yes. rein in the future. <laughs> Oh, well, on to the serious news. Lucy, you've been writing about concussion this week and it's a subject that we've covered a few times on the podcast and frequently comes back to on our news pages and things are quite fast moving in that area, I think, with treatment and knowledge. What's the focus of the story this time? Yes, like you said, as science moves forward, concussion is often something that we're writing about. And this week, I'm looking at some of the latest updates that were shared at the Injured Jockeys Fund or IJF conference. And one part that I found really, really interesting there was a presentation uh, which touched on how the IJF really tailors its concussion rehab to what riders' brains and bodies need to be able to do once they get back in the saddle, which is kind of, it's part of the whole wider toolkit, of, if you like, of, um, of amazing things the IJF do. And so this part of the presentation, it was about something called vestibular ocular motor rehabilitation. And so when riding, particularly when race riding, jockeys are taking in, processing and filtering huge amounts of information through their eyes, from those tiny balance and contact points they have with their horse and their irons and and hearing what's going on around them. And they need to be able to filter that to focus on what are the important things, you know, for example, the fence in front of them while blocking out all the extra information around them, such as noise and crowds and things like that. So the speakers took us through some of the exercises that their trained specialists used to to help them uh, rehab to be able to do that and to be able to monitor someone's progression in doing that. 
for example, focusing on a specific point while moving or balancing in, in their gyms and things and or fo- focusing on specific beads on a string of beads with distractions going on and moving their focus from one to the other and things like that. And that's just to give a really, really basic um snapshot of of all the amazing things they do but I found that really interesting to hear how it's not just rehab it's rehab to what their brains and bodies are going to be going through um when when they're back in the saddle Mm, that's a really interesting one that point about sort of how your eyes and where your eyes are affect your balance I think because Mm. um one of the exercises I do when I warm up for running involves balancing alternately on opposite legs and making a running motion this is where I need like visuals not just a podcast but um (laughs) but I find with that that if I like look through my window in front of me and focus on a point in the distance that actually helps me to balance and I think that's something that dancers do where they like focus on a point in the distance so um it sounds like it's some yeah, some similar stuff to that. So that's really interesting. And briefly, Lucy, what else was discussed at that conference? It was a really good conference. And there were expert presentations on all sorts of things, actually, which we've covered in Horse and Hound. So if you've missed any of those, if you have a look at the Injured Jockeys Fund tag page on the Horse and Hound website, and if you actually to get to that, if you Google Horse and Hound Injured Jockeys Fund, it should bring that tag page straight up and you can find all three of the stories that I've written from that conference uh, so just a brief overview of the other two that we covered uh, one was on mental well-being actually including how injury can play into that and why it's down to the whole industry to ensure there's a brighter future for riders and jockeys well-being and the other one I covered a couple of weeks ago was a major research project into spinal injuries as well so like I said if you've missed any of those you can find those all on Horse and Hound website. Mm, well, do check those out. And your story this week, Lucy, also touched on a new tool uh, separate to this conference, but but also to do with that uh, to do to do with riders' brains in a way. And um, it's been launched by the riders' mental health charity, Riders' Minds. Tell us about that. Yes, this was interesting too. It follows some research that was carried out by Charles Owen and University of Sussex master's student Charlotte Ricker, where 58% of concussed participants reported a significant increase in depression and anxiety scores after their fall. Um, So following that research coming out, Riders Minds launched its Head First campaign in response to that, which aims to get riders to rethink concussion really as not just being a bang on the head. And part of that campaign is this online mental well-being tool and which you can find on the riders minds website and of course it goes without saying that if you are concerned if you had a fall or suspect concussion or experiencing any changes or worried then you know do contact your medical professional but it is really interesting this tool do have a look at it it's again aimed at encouraging riders to to rethink what concussion is and to help them help themselves really Mm, well, thank you, Lucy. Lots of interesting stuff there. Becky, we have a story this week about World Horse Welfare and long distance transport to slaughter. It's described as a once in a generation opportunity. Can you sum up for us what this is all about? Yes, a new appeal has been launched by World Horse Welfare, and this is because the EU is in the process of reviewing its animal transport legislation for the first time in 17 years. World Horse Welfare very much believe this offers the best chance to see some changes made to this legislation. And currently around 20,000 horses are transported to slaughter each year in what the charity described as horrific and unnecessary journeys. 
Mm. And obviously, long distance transport slaughter is sort of the cause that World Health Welfare was founded on, although we know them for so many different things these days. So, so close to that charity's heart. And they've spent years gathering evidence for a report which makes certain recommendations for changes. What are some of those recommendations, Becky? The recommendations include having a 12-hour maximum journey limit for horses intended for slaughter and any journey over four hours be defined as a long journey, which would mean it is subject to more legislative controls and species-specific training for anyone involved in the transportation of these horses. There is also calls to review the minimum space given to each horse and change the definition of fit for transport to include that the horse must arrive at its destination in a fit state. And these horses should also have access to forage and constant drinking water for at least six hours before the start of their journey. Mm. And I think it's really worth noting that World Horse Welfare are not saying that they want to stop the horse meat trade, but it's long distance transport that's that's unnecessary. And they think if these things are, are properly enforced and people are educated, then the trade may start to sort of consider other options as well. Becky, what did Roly Hours, the CEO of World Horse Welfare, what did he say about what the donations in this latest appeal, this new appeal, what will they be used for? They'll be used to keep gathering this evidence. Um, these recommendations have been based on evidence and uh, he said it's really critical, you know, this has to carry on. Well, really important work there by World Horse Welfare. And Becky, just tell us the website address where people can go if they want to donate to this appeal. Donations can be made via the World Horse Welfare website, which is www.worldhorsewelfare.org. Thank you very much for that. Lucy, coming back to you, you have been writing about a petition about sky lanterns. What, what's this story all about? So this petition, it's the latest update really in NFU's ongoing campaign for a total ban on Sky Lanterns, which has been running for a couple of years now. Uh, but the petition is what's new. It's petitioning DEFRA Parliamentary Undersecretary of State Joe Churchill, and it's received more than 20,000 signatures already since it was launched, which was in, which is in May. So already garnering quite a lot of support. Mm. And I know you spoke to representatives from a, a number of different organisations about the incidents that these lanterns can cause and sort of advice that they give out. Give us a bit of a flavour of what some of those said. Yes, I spoke to several organisations that actually form part of an 18-strong group in 2021 that called on the government with NFU to act now to make the use of sky lanterns illegal so i went back to some of those to to get their thoughts on the petition uh including the british horse society the countryside alliance countryland business association and the rspca and just to give a really broad overview um of what their responses were uh, to sum up they were they were supportive of the petition and they all reiterated the dangers really and the damage particularly that sky lanterns can do to property and to animals and really urge people not to release them. Mm, well, thank you, Lucy, and thank you, Becky, for joining us today, too. Now we're going over to our vets, and before we start, just a quick heads up that this episode mentions a bull calf's reproductive organs. Over to you, Rick. 
Hi, uh, welcome back. My name's Rick. I'm one of the vets at Far and Percy Equine, and we've got Andy Fitzjackson, one of the surgeons at the RVC, with us. And we're just going to carry on having a little chat uh, about sort of a vet's life, the sort of things that we'd go through on a day-to-day -day basis, and some of those comical stories that you're going to tell your kids and your grandkids um, why they probably shouldn't be a vet, frankly. Uh, so, Andy, <laughs> you're still there? <laughs> I am indeed. Thanks, Rick. Hello, everyone. We mentioned about um, some of our cattle work, and I think probably with cattle, you do the number of animals you see you know and of course they're in one day compared to a horse you, know, you see a whole herd and, and and also you know they're not always uh, that amenable and there's a lot of feces around to get in the way and, and discussing things but uh, but rick i know you'd have a, a good one you were uh, you were telling oh, me about yeah no it, it's that typical one of where you you've you've been in practice for a year or two but you, you're still learning the ropes all sorts and you, you're learning the things that you need to do to prevent yourself looking like a bit of a plonker occasionally and uh, we we had a fantastic farm client a large beef herd that it had a huge bull on site so the vast majority of the carvings and everything were cesareans anyway and had built us a custom crush uh, called out um, early hours of the morning uh, you do your cesarean not a problem calf out everyone's as happy as larry that sort of uh, environment they're always they're very welcoming to be honest and nine times out of ten you're invited in for a cuppa afterwards and probably a bit of breakfast if, if that's the case so popped in uh, had a cuppa left the farm absolutely fine no problems all happy and thinking right okay now I need to start the day but really need to get a bit of fuel so hop in the car down to the local uh, service station filling up and you know i think everyone's had that kind of remote time when you think i'm being watched people are looking at me and i'm not entirely sure why so completely ignore it carrying on filled up put the cap back on walked in starting paying for this fuel they are everyone's really looking at me at this point and I, just thinking right okay i'm either doing something really wrong or rude but i'm going to ignore it you step back in your car you look in your rear view mirror and you suddenly realize why everyone's looking at you you look like an axe murderer frankly <laughs> you're splattered from blood from head to toe it's all down the side of your face and your neck you've completely missed it you've cleaned your hands but you forgot your face now the amusing thing to me was why on earth the farmer and, and his yeah. wife didn't even tell me obviously sat there with me had a cup of tea not a problem but i've got blood all the way down the side of my face such so familiar uh, and um that the the, the danger zone which is under your elbow you know out of sight uh and you clean up everything else and whether it's blood or or or, or poo or whatever it is that might be accumulating there but there's always a bit you seem to miss yeah despite it but um I used to love dealing with with farmers. Um, this is one of my first visits. Uh, it was a, down in Somerset, and I'd grown up in Somerset, so I my first job was in my local practice that I, that I knew well, and, and I ended up knowing a lot of the the farmers and, and people that I was seeing in my first job, which was a blessing and a curse in many ways. But uh, but in this particular instance, I was asked to go out and see this um, six month old beef male calf, and these things are pretty wild because they're not really handled very much. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, this. Um, uh, this farmer wanted me to, to call um, the vet out, called me out because he was worried this thing had a hernia, so a, uh, you know, a pouch of um, something sticking through there. Anyway, um, this thing came in and it's it's going absolutely berserk. It's not happy with being uh, in this crush. And it wasn't really a proper crush that you secured the head. It was just a sort of a narrow, sort of stock-like situation. So I knew the chap a little bit from uh, growing up, not 
you certainly need my mum and, and so forth and a bit of chit chat about that and so forth and, and I said well you know I appeared underneath this and I wasn't hugely experienced it was really new graduate and I just couldn't see anything wrong I was just you know I looked at it and looked at it and I, I said well you know cause that's a you know it's supposed to be really obvious when you look at these things so yeah. anyway, I said to the farmer I said well can you just point to me where you um where you think this hernia is and um well he pointed right at this uh, essentially this bull's sheath his penis and I said, surely not. I mean, he's, this is an experienced farmer. He's going to know that this is a, a normal thing for a male animal to have sitting here. You know, it's not a, a particularly, you know. And so anyway, so I said, well, you know, that's its, that's its penis. I'm like, that's not, um, that's normal. Mm. It's a sheath, you know. Yeah. Um, and he looked at it again and he said, my word. I, oh, my gosh. I was, he's really embarrassed. And I just, I wanted to make him feel a bit better. I thought, well, maybe he's got it wrong. Maybe it's sort of, you know, it's one of those ones that's sort of intermittently coming in and out. And mm. um, I'd have a quick feel. Well, <laughs> this happened in a flash. I touched, obviously, that region. And in a flash, this hind leg came up and walloped me in the face. Absolutely, literally. Um, I think it did break my nose. But you know when you get one of those nosebleeds, which is just like an absolute tap. I was embarrassed that I'd done that. He was embarrassed about this 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 hernia situation. Anyway, blood my own blood on this occasion, literally going everywhere. And I had to get back for um evening consults, uh, small animal consults. So anyway, you know it's like you used to hold it, hold it, hold it. Yeah, and, yeah. and all the way through evening consults I had these those black eyes underneath, you know, and, and then was trying to I see, you know, someone's rabbit, someone's cat, dog, whatever. I could feel it gently tricking, trickling down, you know, it would not stop. And I kept having to sort of peel away and blow my nose. And I, had, I looked no. like I'd been in a boxing match. Oh, gosh, I'll never forget that. And I just think, what a plonker. It's the amount of cuts and all sorts that you get. Um, one of my first bosses always said to me, look, frankly, you've got the biggest first aid kit you could ever imagine in the back of your car. You don't need a normal first aid kit. The amount of time I've had to patch myself up. I don't know yeah. about you. Have you? Yeah. My wife always jokes that I've never seemed to know how, how I've, you know, been cut or bruised. Or, you know, she goes, what's happened mm. to your hand? What's happened to your head? I don't know. I look in the mirror. I go, oh, I don't know. What, what? <laughs> she thinks I have no feeling. I think my daughter's inherited the same thing, to be honest. But, but, um, how many times have you broken things? I mean, I've, I've had quite yeah, a few. Yeah, my nose many break. times. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and I guess just, just lastly, before we wrap up, I had a, had a similar situation. My own own horse I had to take into uh, the clinic where I was working at the time down in Lippock. And um, we're doing a lameness workup. I was with the, uh, the, the technician who was holding him, a big 17-hand horse. Mm. And I did a block. Um, and the kind of, it was a low four-point block. So you, you have to go part of it on the inside of the limb. And I would never do this now. Rough rule of thumb, you should always have something between the horse's leg and your face, I always tell uh, those I'm teaching, um, you know, whether it's your arm or something, because mm. you need something. I didn't on this occasion wrap my hand up, so he basically didn't really kick forward, but um, again, walloped me in pretty much the same place that the calf had oh. walloped me a few years earlier on. I... Again, massive nosebleed. Um, but I was so embarrassed because it was my own horse that had done this. So I tried to make, I was trying to hide it. I thought if I just stop it, you know, no one's going to notice. I held my nose for about 10 minutes. You know, the technician was down. I said, look, you know, we try and keep this quiet. It's really embarrassed. And I turned around to look at her after I thought I dealt with it. And I, is it a shame this is recorded, not visual, because I said, can you tell? <laughs> she did, did a slow nod with this look. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, and, then, no. and then, you know, everyone saw me and thought, this is my own horse that had done this. But, uh, yeah, the wallops and scrapes, um, they definitely uh, are a feature of it. When you're broken bones.
Well, I think what we'll do is we'll wrap that one up and we'll carry on this conversation uh, in the next episode and everything on more on kind of what it's like to be a vet, the day-to-day runnings that we kind of encounter uh, and some of those memorable moments that, uh, that keep popping up. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Thank you, Rick and Andy. Our vets will be back next week to talk about the things that can go wrong in a vet's life when it comes to needles. We'll be speaking to recent badminton runner at Ros Cantor. Plus, of course, we'll review all the week's news as normal. See you then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.